0: You want to not think about what it is that you do. You want to think about what it is that you do for your clients. Because the second that you unhook that part of you, where you start thinking, well, how do I describe what I do? You unlock the real power of messaging when you start to think about what do I do for?
1: Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. And I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintained, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. In this podcast, Michael Roderick, the founder of Small Pond Enterprises, discusses his work helping people become more referable. Roderick explains that referability is a framework that teaches people how to build relationships and become more effective communicators. Roderick discusses the challenges he faces in helping people change their behavior and mindset, particularly when it comes to shifting from a transactional to a relational approach finally roderick shares his thoughts on the future of his work discussing his plans to continue expanding the reach of his business and to help more people build the skills they need to succeed in their personal and professional lives overall the podcast provides an insightful look into the challenges and rewards of helping people become more effective communicators and build stronger relationships roderick's personal experiences and insights offer valuable lessons for anyone looking to improve their own communication skills and relationships let's get to the show michael roderick welcome to conversations with connor's my friend i uh, appreciate you making the trek into hoboken coming <laughs> in all the way from harlem i've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time uh, we were introduced back in 2014. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know it's crazy. I, I it's uh, yesterday. I was looking back, uh, at, you know, like the first correspondence, and so, uh, yeah, so, al- so almost a decade. Wow, which is uh, pretty crazy. But I also think it speaks to uh, both of us. Yes. You know, so uh, I'm excited for today's conversation. The audience is gonna get an opportunity to uh, learn about a good man learn about a man who's done a lot of good, and uh, there's going to be a lot of really good takeaways. So um, let's set the stage, if you don't mind, uh, give a little backdrop about you know who you are sure. um, and how you're helping to change people's lives.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, I started out as a high school English teacher, and I went from being a high school English teacher to becoming a Broadway producer in under two years. So now... I focus on making subject matter experts, the stars by helping them with a concept I've developed called referability. So I look at how do you get people to talk about you when you're not in the room in a good way. And I love helping subject matter experts who they're really wonderful at what they do. They've, they've done a really great job of serving their clients, but they haven't necessarily thought about how. They're going to share that message, how to get those ideas and those concepts out there. So I take my Broadway background, my education background, and I combine those things to help thoughtful givers, people who are really, really great at serving and and helping, to become thought leaders. I help them package those ideas and get those things out there.
1: Wow. That's such an awesome uh, offering that you're bringing to the table. What's the biggest challenge that you're typically facing? So the
0: biggest challenge that comes up in in these particular uh, scenarios is that a lot of people have, whenever you're creating your own content, whenever you're creating your own ideas, it's very much your baby. And uh, you will feel very strongly about the way you're saying something, the language that you're using. And very often what will end up happening is, it's not working because the market actually doesn't understand what it is that you offer. They don't actually understand the value. And I would say the biggest challenge that comes up is that people will want to sort of hold on to that. And I've had that in my own life and in my own offerings in the past where I really liked the name of something, right? Or I really liked the way something sounded, or I really liked the way something was positioned. But when it actually went into the market, nobody was buying it and i think it's really really important to be able to sort of have that distance and say the market is the client
1: that is such a great point and i'll i'll uh, reinforce that so i literally just a few weeks ago had a, an experience that really supports what you're saying uh, i was coming off of the new offering uh, we had to create a new logo and, a, you know, like a pitch line, if you will. Yeah. And I was in love with a certain logo and I was in love with the pitch line. But I, you know, uh, based on a previous experience, I said, well, let's let's put it out to a focus group. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> which I didn't do that. <laughs> and I that. So anyways, the, the punch line is, uh, I think we had over 100 people kind of vote anonymously. And we had, I forgot how many logos we had, like, like four or five logos. And the one that was my uh, least favorite was Far and Away the winner yep, and the pet and the, the line, if you will, I think what, you know, my second uh, worst was the winner. <laughs> yep. So that's what we went with and we've gotten some extremely great feedback. So to your point, one of your many skills, I guess, is helping people really kind of uh, um, identify what their true offering is.
0: Yeah. I really excel in the aspect of seeing how other people will see something so uh, when i when I look at an offering or when I look at uh, the way that somebody's positioned themselves, I can sort of take on the the persona of a client or a market. And I will often basically be able to see this is why this thing is interesting or this is why this thing uh, will have traction versus, this is confusing. This doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, and i th- I think that a lot of that comes from this entertainment background because when you work on Broadway, you really have to kind of make a split decision in many cases about whether or not something has the potential to move forward. So, as a producer, there were many times where I'd go and I'd see a reading. And within the first five minutes, I would know whether or not I was going to raise money for that or whether or not I was going to tell other people about it. And the rest of the show was either convincing me I was right or convincing me in the opposite direction.
1: Mm. So you're able to distill down what their superpower is?
0: Yes. Yeah. And I I see that very, very often. Uh, And one of the most fascinating things about that is often your side dish or your side thing is actually your superpower. So there's lots and lots of instances where I will talk with a client and they'll be like word vomiting about what it is that they do and what it is that they offer. And the way that I like to think about it is I hear everything in black and white and I hear the interesting things in color. So they'll just be spewing and sort of talking and most of it comes in black and white. And then I'll hear something and I'll be like, wow, that was really interesting. That was really compelling. And nine times out of 10, 10, it's the thing that they've decided to dismiss. Hmm. It's the thing that actually wasn't that important to them or that they've kind of kept buried or that they haven't really thought about. And often that's the thing. And this actually happened for me personally. I was teaching a workshop and it was a sort of general networking workshop. And when you teach a general networking workshop, you have challenges because people basically see the value of networking in multiple ways, but they don't necessarily the value of networking in terms of like paying to learn about it. Right. And sort of paying to be educated in it.
1: I might know a thing about that.
0: Yeah, Um, and, and the thing is the reason for that is that there are so many variables to the result that a person gets. So I could teach you the best ways to say something I could teach you every networking framework in the world but your success depends on multiple variables, including who it is that you're meeting, the timing, what's actually going on in the market, what market you're approaching. There's far too many variables to your success. So even though I taught you something, that thing could take one person into the stratosphere and it could take another person into the gutter. It's
1: a great way to articulate it, by the way.
0: Thank you. So I was teaching this workshop and while I was teaching this workshop, I took 15 minutes to talk about a theory I had. And I basically just said to the people in the workshop, I said, this may go nowhere, but I have a theory based on my own experience. And when I look back at my life and I look back at all the rooms that I got into and I ask myself, what got me into all of those rooms? I had the realization that it was because The stuff I had created was easy for other people to talk about. So I threw out this idea to the group that if you create a referable brand for yourself, if you make it very, very easy for people to talk about you and your ideas, then the networking takes care of itself because you become the shiny object and everybody wants to introduce you to their friends. So I get to the end of this workshop two days of my best networking education, mind you, and ask them, what do they want their hot seats to be on? What do they want to focus on for, you know, have me just help them for five minutes, 10 minutes, have the group help them five minutes, 10 minutes. Everybody wanted to talk about creating a referable brand. Wow. So for me, that was a side dish, right? Like it was something that I just thought like, Hey, there's this like kind of quirky thing that really kind of transformed the business. Because it was much, much easier to take somebody's ideas and concepts, repackage it so that they could charge more for whatever that thing was and point to a result than to say, well, let me teach you how to think about networking. Let me teach you how to sort of, and and then be like, well, hopefully you got this result, mm. right? And I think that a lot of the time, the the mistake that I see is that, We as subject matter experts, we are overwhelmed by our expertise. So we've done the work of being the scientist, right? We've spent a ton of time really understanding our subject matter. And we've gotten really, really great. But thought leaders aren't just scientists. They're also celebrities. And they're also what I like to refer to as magicians. They're very, very good at coming up with really interesting ways to present their ideas. And they're also really, really good at communicating that value in a way that it's valuable for everybody else. So what I found was that these subject matter experts who are the scientists, they worry about the celebrity side. They don't actually want to get their, You know, they, they, they struggle with the idea of like getting their stuff out there or sort of being out there in, in the world. And the reason why is because they haven't thought about how it's going to be packaged for somebody else Mm, to share and use. Right. And ultimately it's very, very similar to the way that we think about relationship building and networking where, you know, people will be like, well, it's about the success of the other person. Right. But it's fascinating to me That so, so often when we have a a service, we're actually not thinking of the other person. We're thinking of ourselves and how we're going to execute it. Most people, when they are describing their expertise, especially a subject matter expert, they will spend all the time helping you understand how they came about their expertise, what elements of their expertise, they, what experience they have, How they break everything down, and they'll spend actually very little time discussing with you what their expertise will actually do for you. Mm. I call this giving yourself an F. You want to not think about what it is that you do, you want to think about what it is that you do for your clients. Because the second that you unhook that part of you where you start thinking, well, how do I describe what I do? You unlock the real power of messaging when you start to think about what do I do for? What is the transformation that I actually create? What happens on the other end of this experience with me? Where does this person end up? And when you're able to communicate that, suddenly people want to work with you. People want to talk about you and your ideas. You build that element of referability because what you're sharing and what you're helping people with, they want to share it with others, not because it makes you look good, but because it makes them look good.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, what a great, I love that. I could just listen to you talk for forever too. <laughs> what, um, do you have a formula for this? So I, so that's a really interesting
0: question because formulas are very, very dangerous. And I have this conversation a lot. A formula basically says to you, do it this way and say it this way which means that you don't get to be yourself. You basically get to be a version of me, right? Mm. You have to parrot what I say. So I actually never teach or put anything together in formulas. I only teach in frameworks because a framework helps you think differently about a particular idea. It doesn't tell you what to say. It doesn't tell you even how to think. It just gives you a way to start to think differently about an idea.
1: Are, are you a, a Shane Parrish fan by any chance? Do you yes. Know that is? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're, you're speaking in mental models. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. Okay.
0: Exactly. So yes, yeah, so it follows. And, and ultimately, that aspect of mental models, think about the level of referability that it has, right? So now Shane just got advertising on your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Without even asking you to be advertised or talked about on your podcast. Why? Because Shane coined something that basically triggered something in your memory and made you mention him.
1: Mm. So walk me through that. Give me an example of like, how do you get people to talk about you when you're not in the room? What what are, I mean, I understand that. And and maybe formula was the wrong way. Mental model is a better way of thinking about it. And by the way, I love the, you know, how you're really kind of breaking it down because that's a yeah. you used it's a great example of doing that so thanks so what are some things that you might do mm-hmm. or or you know if, if someone's thinking of they're listening to this and they're like wow all right they're like mike mike's really tapping into something here and and i bring something special to the table but uh you know i have a superpower that's really untouched right now and there's yeah. there, there might be an opportunity in the market Walk me through what that would look like. Someone, sure. Someone reaches out to you and sure. they say, "Mike, hey, you know, I'm really good at at, at washing windows. Yeah, I do it so awesome, like yeah. better than anybody else. And yeah. and there's a real big demand for it. Yeah. I, I just threw a lot at you, but but go wherever.
0: No worries. So, I'll share with you very briefly the 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 main sort of framework around referability. And then I'll answer that question uh, about if you're the one trying to sort of sell the service, like what is kind of the, the, the best way to think about it. Um, So basically there are three main principles when it comes to referability. And it's easy to remember these principles because it spells the word aim. So you think about the idea of taking aim, Mm. right? And the first is accessibility. This is always your first hurdle. Accessibility has to do with does The market outside of your industry, outside of your world? Do people who are not on the inside baseball kind of world of what you talk about understand what you're talking about? So, the first hurdle always for an expert is that aspect of accessibility. Are you making it so, so easy for someone to understand that they feel Like they're connected. They feel like they understand it because one of the core reasons we don't share something is if it makes us look stupid, Mm. if it makes us look like we don't understand it, most of the time, we're not going to share it. We're not going to talk about it. And a lot of people end up in this scenario where they're blocked from giving a referral because of that first hurdle of accessibility. They do not know how to explain the value that you provide to somebody else. And because they don't, they don't want to look
1: awkward, not being able to articulate it. So you must have to make it extremely distilled and simple. Exactly. Kind of the old kiss. Keep it, uh, yep. I do know, what is it? Keep it uh, simple, stupid? Or Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. Right? So you have to get very, very granular with it. Right? Very, very granular. And... This ties to the tool that you can use pretty much immediately. If you are a subject matter expert that when I started doing this, I would have general meetings where basically it was just, I got introduced to somebody very randomly, not an actual referral, right? Like not a real referral. Cause there's a huge, huge difference between connections, referrals and favors. Right. And I would get a meeting with somebody and it was just a, Hey, let's like, let's have a connection call kind of, kind of scenario. And when I started doing this one thing, I would either have people say, can I hire you on that call or say, Oh my God, my friend needs you. And it's a very, very simple concept. So most of the time when we're thinking about selling, our brains go to the idea of a target market, right? And this is because most marketing teaches us, find the hyper specific market that you want to sell to create the message for that market, all those different types of things. But what does not get addressed and what is significantly more powerful is the concept of a target problem. Mm, I like that. So if I describe your problem in a hyper specific way, one of two things happens. Either you say, Oh my God, that's me. Or you say, oh my God, I have friends who are going through that. So what I started doing when I would meet with people and talk to them about what I did was I started focusing on the target problem. And the target problem that I saw in my market was that people who are really wonderful at doing the work for their clients deprioritize doing the work to actually articulate what it is that they do.
1: Kind of like the shoemaker's kid has no shoes. Exactly.
0: They don't come up with their own frameworks, their own models of thinking. They don't take the time to do any of that because they're serving the client and they're doing really, really great work for the client. But there are all of these other subject matter experts who are not as qualified as them, who don't do as nearly as good of a job, but who get way more market share. And the reason they get way more market share is because they took the time to actually package their ideas. Mm. They took the time to come up with these concepts, to do the TED talk, to do the presentation, to write the book, right? They came up with those concepts and then those concepts ended up making them boatloads of money while these other people are living on scraps. Mm. So what did I just do? If you are that subject matter expert and you've been putting that off, You have a realization about yourself, right? You're like, wow, I haven't been putting the time into doing this. So if I have a solution for you, if I say, well, I can take you through a process to get that done and we can do it fast so that, and I can give you the time to actually create this. I can give you the time to put all of this together, this thing that you've been putting off. What happens? You either say, tell me how, or tell me more about it. Or you say, oh my God, my friend is so brilliant. They're so, so great. And they're constantly getting like next to nothing for what they, for the value that they offer. I got to tell them about this guy. I got to have that conversation. So notice what I did from an accessibility standpoint, Uh right? I framed this in a way that either the person across the table is feeling themselves or is thinking, oh my God, I know somebody who's like that. So when you take the time to think about the target problem, that your clients are going through. And if you've already got clients or if you've had clients, your best copy is literally in your client's mouths. They will tell you the problem. They will tell you that issue. If you go to a client who you've had success with and you say, can you describe in detail where you were before you met me? You will have so much language to use to help you craft that target problem. So target problem is probably one of the fastest ways to get at this accessibility side of things. Now, the thing I'll say is that there are lots and lots of ways to think about accessibility and break down accessibility. And we could go in lots of different directions with that, but we're going to try to sort of stay in the fr- framework itself, but we can always go back and talk more about accessibility. If you overcome. The hurdle of accessibility, if you've gotten to the point where people get it and people are willing to refer it and talk about it, you now have another hurdle, which is the hurdle of influence. Most of the content and the material and the things that are out there will communicate that influence is about persuasion. It's about me getting you to do something through various tactics, through various ways. And if you've read Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, right, it breaks down what's actually happening from a psychological standpoint.
1: It's the 48 laws of power for those of you who aren't familiar. Yeah. Sorry to
0: cut no me. worries. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the thing is, right, if you're thinking in that way, if you're thinking in the way of how do I persuade, then your market is going to feel that they're gonna know kind of exactly, oh, okay, you're using this thing on me to get me to do X, Y, Z, because the market has become sophisticated enough, enough people have read about this, enough people have been exposed to marketing that they already know sort of what's happening. So ultimately, there's really only one true, absolutely pure form of influence, and that's if you do something without me asking you to do it. So if I craft what I have to offer or what I have to share with you, in such a way that you want to share it with other people, I've influenced you without any tactic at all.
1: So you're trying to get people when you say influence to get, you know, for sake of social proof. Is that the kind of, Um, is that where you're
0: along those lines? Um, but it's more, it's more of the aspect of speak softly and carry a big idea. Gotcha. Right. Where it's like, If you come up with your own phrasing for something or your own way of saying something or somebody listening to this hears AIM and shares it with someone else, I didn't ask them to share it, right? Like I didn't ask them to talk about it, but because it's going to make them look better by explaining it to somebody else, they are going to share it.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yep.
0: So... That's a slight change in the packaging. So whatever it is that you create, whether it's a framework that you have or a model that you're developing or some tool that you've built for your, you know, for your audience, you have to think about how is somebody else going to look when they share this? And if you can think through that and you can make it so that somebody looks really good when they share something, then it's way more likely that they're going to share it. And this is why memes are so popular. Oh yeah. Right? This is why TED talks get shared. This is what all because it's about how it makes the other person look. It's about their reputation. They want to be seen as the curator. They want to be seen as the person who has the knowledge and is, is seen, right? You've already made reference to books in this podcast episode, in, in including individuals as well. Why? Because it shows that you're knowledgeable. About those books. It shares with your audience that you've taken the time to read those things. It makes you look good when you share that there are things that you've taken the time to explore and you've sort of actually put
1: out there. So, your point is that if other people, the people that you're putting through, your clients, that if you can get them the accessibility, if you can get them the influence, that it's in their best interest to be able to uh, to, to share this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It basically makes things better for everybody else, right? Yeah. And if we bring it back to the networking piece, when you think about a relationship and when you think about an introduction, what introduction is usually the most powerful? It's the one where somebody is like, oh my God, thank you for introducing me to that person because they made my life better, Right. They changed my trajectory. They changed my opportunities. So what does it do? It circles back to you, right? So if I go to somebody and I say, here's this person, here's what they can do. Here's how they can help you. Here's what is going to be great for you. Then you're going to be like, yes, I want that intro, right? I'm interested in that intro. I want to have that conversation. And thank you. Exactly. Exactly. So you get through accessibility, you get to the point of influence. But you will still fall down and you will still end up having instances where things don't work if you don't focus on the last one, which is memory.
1: Ooh, explain that.
0: Yeah. So basically, you could have the best thing in the world. But if somebody else can remember somebody else's thing easier, you lose. Hmm. Right? G-
1: give me an example. Sure. Like what, yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's think coffee, for example. If I say Venti Coffee, what brand comes up? Starbucks. It like? There you go. Does any other no. brand out there? Nope, nope. Right? Yep.
1: Good branding. Yep, yeah. That's a good. Yeah. Right. Good point. Yep.
0: So, so the thing is, there's the way that I like to think about this. If you want people to remember you more, you focus on less, and that's language, emotion, simplicity, and
1: structure. I'm loving your acronyms, Mike. Thank you. Keep them rolling. <laughs> <laughs> so. We just can, can you say it one more time language, emotion, sentence, and structure?
0: Uh, language, emotion, simplicity. Oh, simplicity, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And structure, yeah. no worries. Um, so the first is language, which we literally just illustrated. Because when you come up with your own language for something, it basically carves a piece of mental real estate in somebody's brain. So just as I said Venti and you went directly to Starbucks, Starbucks chose to basically coin that language. Right? They chose to start calling things that
1: i.e Google to Google something yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. right. So any anytime that you take the time to actually come up with your own language for something, your own words for something, you'll basically cause people to sort of have it stick in their brain.
1: Can I make this about me for a minute? Of course. So networking has, gets bad PR. You yes, talked indeed. about it. We could probably talk for hours about teaching yeah. it to people and things of that nature. Of course. So, you know, the tagline of our company is don't network network wise. Mm-hmm. Don't just network network yeah. wise. Yeah. So, so uh, the idea was to have network wise be like networking properly to be synony- network wise be synonymous with what it really means to network. Yeah. Um, probably haven't done a good job of making that or maybe we're too early who knows mm-hmm. but but w- what would come to your mind is sure uh, you know not to put you on the spot no, not but, at all. but anything in particular yeah. like to, yeah. to really kind of capture this
0: yeah so basically um the thing that you always have to remember about words is that words hit people in the same way that names of people hit them as well right so if you were bullied in school by a kid named todd right every todd you meet you kind of have a a little bit of a yeah there's todd that's ex- todd <laughs> exactly you kind of have a little bit of a uh kind of thing right so there are words that have also sort of basically taken that part of your uh, of, of of your brain and if you've had a bad networking experience which most most people have right um then that word lives in a place where basically you're kind of like uh so the thing is, if the same word is used, even with sort of a a, a change or sort of an adjustment on that same word, you're still triggering that, that emotion. That emotion.
1: So you would have advised, you know, Rowan, not using networking at all in exactly. the name of the okay. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah,
0: I would have advised coming up with your own word for that. Gotcha. And thinking through. What is it that you're doing? How does it tie to sort of how you think about things like what you look at and then describing it, you know, in, you know, in this way so that you introduce this new word into the world. And if it's this kind of like, so there's this concept of uh, something being minimally counterintuitive. And there was a study done of uh, fairy tales. And basically what it was a memory study. And what they did was they took uh, a couple of different fairy tales, some that were very popular. And then they took ones that were like a lot of people just didn't know them at all. Um, So Cinderella was one. And then there was another one called the donkey lettuce, which I have no idea. Right. And Cinderella got shared more and was repeated more and was more easily remembered Because Cinderella is what we, what is considered minimally counterintuitive. There's actually only a couple of fantasy elements to Cinderella. Most of the story is real with just a few fantasy elements. Hmm. Whereas the donkey lettuce was this like fairy tale, fairy tale, fairy tale, so many different elements, so many fantasy elements, so many, you know, things that how are you going to remember all of the pieces of it?
1: had nothing to do with rel- like being able to relate. It was strictly just it was, too much.
0: Yeah, it was about any issue with memory is usually tied to the fact that our memory can only hold so much information at any one period of time, hmm. right? So anytime we forget things, it's because our brains become overwhelmed because we don't have enough room basically to sort of hold all of those things in our brain. So when something's minimally counterintuitive, What you do is you make sure that most elements of the thing is something that they already recognize, but there's one or two elements of innovation. Interesting. Yeah. I I often refer to it as finding your Selene. So there's this great uh, book called The Power of Habit. Oh, yeah. And there's this really great story about Hey Ya by OutKast. And when Hey Ya by OutKast first came out, it was not a hit originally. Right? It just came out and people shut it off almost immediately. And the reason for that was that musically, it sounded very different than most of the other pop songs at the time. So what the radio stations had to do in order to actually get it into the mainstream was that they had to basically put Hey Ya in the middle of pop songs that already kind of had a very familiar sound that people already kind of recognized. And one of those artists was Celine Dion. Because if you've heard one Celine Dion song, congratulations, you've heard them all, right? <laughs> yeah. So the mistake that most subject matter experts, most innovators make is that they're trying to introduce the world to their Hey, ya, when really what they've got to do is they've got to find their Celine, mm. they've got to figure out what is that thing that people kind of already understand and make it minimally counterintuitive, right? What is the anchor that you can give somebody so that they understand a concept? And they're like, oh, okay. But then there's this slight variation on it that causes you to be like, oh, okay, right? So in your situation, right, you already know that there is a negative connotation to the idea, to the idea of networking, right? Your variation could break that down in any number of ways. You could use the word net. You could use the word work. You could look up synonyms for the words network, and you would have a bunch of different options that basically would tie to something that people already recognize, but you'd be calling it something different. Mm. So then people would be, in essence, networking. They would be going out there and doing the the work of networking, but they'd be calling it something else. And because they're calling it something else, what happens is people are like, oh, no, I don't network. I do this. Yeah, instead. exactly. And anytime you come up with your own language for something, you give an audience or a community an opportunity to have an identity. And this, I mean, we see this across the board,
1: right? You're onto something big, you too, right now. You got identity, and then it's community and then, yep. you know,
0: all those other things. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Because
0: if you have that feeling of, it's the classic Seth Godin has this great quote of people like us do things like like this, right? And that's really what's happening, right? People start to feel ownership of an idea or a concept. And then they basically going back to the influence idea, they use that as a status symbol. They use that as a way to go sort of into their network and be like, I'm part of this. And we see this, I mean, we see this all across the board in all sorts of social environments, right? If you went to a certain college, you talk about that college. Why? not because the college was actually that good, but because of what the college represents to the market and to the world that you're, that that you're in. You could have had the worst experience in college and you would still mention the name of your college because you know what it's actually going to create for somebody else. So anytime we have our own language for things, it basically starts pulling back to us. And then people start asking, where did you learn that term? Where did you learn that concept? Right? So, Going all the way back, if somebody shares with somebody else the idea of the target problem, somebody is going to say, where did you learn that? And it's going to send them back to this podcast or it's going to send them to some other interview that I've done where I've talked about the idea of the target problem. So again, I'm not doing anything. I'm not asking them to reach out to me. I'm not asking them to look for me. But as as long as somebody decides to take that concept and share it with somebody else, somebody is going to look me up and I'm not doing anything.
1: Where'd you learn all this stuff? I mean,
0: there's so many places. It, it's um, it's come from it's come from personal experience. It's come from uh, tons and tons of different books that I've read, uh, specifically about psychology, about marketing, about advertising, uh, copywriting. Uh, so it's it's really kind of uh, been one of these things where. As I've found different concepts and different ideas, I've looked at those ideas and said, okay, how does this apply to the concepts that I have? A lot of these things are not new. And the thing to understand is that nothing that you create is actually new. It's just a reconfiguration of of what came before, right? I agree with that. It's just reimagining. And it's very much like uh, the idea of uh, postmodernism. Right. And I've uh, I've I've uh, explained postmodernism as, you know, as a teacher in the past using Legos, because if I took a bunch of Legos and I decided to put all those Legos together and they were a boat, I could take those exact same Legos, break them apart again and I can make a car. Now, is it a boat or is it a car? It's what it's however I've decided to sort of compose it. Now, just take any moment in history. Think of each of those moments as a single Lego. We can basically reconfigure how somebody sees a point in history just by choosing where we put those Legos. Same with concepts and ideas. Like We can read something and we can basically look at that thing and say, I love this component of it, but I don't actually love this component of it. So I'm going to take this component and I'm going to put it together with something else. And now it's considered something new. Mm. It's considered a new idea. There are basically these frameworks come as a result of looking at other mental models and other things that are out there and saying okay how do i put this together for the purpose of explaining the concept to somebody and helping them understand those things right so i'll sit after you know going through a bunch of different experiences and i'll ask myself what are the patterns in those experiences And patterns are always the precursor to frameworks. If you wanna create a framework, look for the patterns in terms of how things happen, what actually goes on. And when I used to teach all of the networking stuff, that's what I did. I basically looked at the patterns in all of the conversations I had and all of the networking meetings I had and all the things that happened. And then I said, based on these patterns, what is true? And that's when I started developing frameworks Mm. and saying, okay, this is the way to think about this.
1: Gotcha. What about podcasts? Mm-hmm. You, you listen to any? Yes. Yeah. Any in particular you recommend?
0: Um, I, I love uh, Unmistakable Creative. Mm. Um, I think uh, uh, Shrini Rao, who who runs that, I think he's just very very great at asking questions, right, and really sort of digging in and finding like really really great people. Um, uh, I also uh, have a friend who has a show called The Seven Figure Millennials Podcast. Um, his name is Brandon Fong. And Brandon does so much research on his guests and pulls so much out of them in terms of the books they, they, they've written and the things that they have done that it's just really, really interesting material, right? It's really, really interesting material. And again, you sitting and listening to a podcast, right? And being like, oh, so many interesting ideas there, right? It's another uh, person that I follow, Uh, Jason Pfeiffer. Um, And he's got multiple podcasts, but he's another one where he just asks really good questions and sort of thinks about all these things. So what does that do? That basically gives me things to think about. There's a saying, it's by uh, Justine Musk, which is uh, reading is the inhale and writing is the exhale. And ultimately it's the same thing with listening, right? When we listen to something and we sort of, bring in all of those components when our brains get to work on that thing later on we sometimes come up with new ideas new concepts new you know new things same with when we're reading books right all of that information gets processed through the lens of what it is that we want to talk about what it is that's interesting to us and if we give that time to process and then we say okay how do i craft this message? How do I craft this message so that other people will understand it and that other people will want to share it? Well, then we end up in a really, really great situation because people just start sharing it and talking about it. And that's where going back to the language thing, that's where we come up with the language. That's where we come up with the names and the ideas and the concepts. Going back to that minimally counterintuitive thing, because we see things that have worked and maybe we decide to take one of those concepts and then just shift it slightly. How many times has the hierarchy of needs been repurposed? How many times has uh, Jim Collins' uh, hedgehog concept from good to great be repurposed? And we've seen multiple Venn diagrams. How many times do, do, do those things happen? And ultimately what's happening is somebody else is sort of looking at an idea and saying, okay, great. Where do I focus in on this idea? Why does it apply to me and the work that I'm doing and what language or what name can I give it? And if I give it that language, right, all of a sudden people think about it in a completely different way. What about, let's switch
1: gears a little bit. Or actually speaking of, um, how about your podcast? Yeah. You know, you're you're a bit of a pioneer. What year did you yeah. start your podcast? Uh 2015. Okay. It's called Access to Anyone. Yes. Love the name of Thank it, you. by the way. Thank and you. I really wish I would discovered it a long time ago because I'm I've been burning through it. <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. So Thank 2015. You. You're yes. clearly a pioneer. Yeah. You know, nowadays everybody's got a podcast, although yeah. Uh, I forgot the statistic. I think the average podcast like nine episodes. Yeah, you know, because yeah. as, as, a lot of as,
0: people do not go, uh, do not continue with them. <laughs> it is
1: a massive amount of work. Yes, it is a big commitment of time. Yes, it is. Um, it's expensive. It can yes. be very expensive. Whether mm-hmm. it is your time, whether it's just getting editing, whether you know putting it up, you know hosting it in all the different places, promoting yeah. it. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But you were early. Yeah. um you've had some amazing guests you've had some amazing content i'd love if you don't mind just mm-hmm. kind of talk about your show a little bit sure. you know kind of what prompted you to do it yeah um you know and then i'd like to find out about you know how that how you've gotten your guests you know you have sure. a you've got a nice format to your podcast too which Thank is you. you know so people know kind of what, where to what to, we'll get let me yeah go for it
0: no worries um, so the podcast actually started um, from a conversation that my friend Michael Shine and I had. We, were, um, we, we partnered on it and we co-hosted it for a, a number of years. Uh, and then Michael Shine uh, started working on his book. He wrote a book about the topic of hype. And when he got to the point where he was working on that book, uh, he was just like, he did not have the time anymore to be co-hosting a podcast. So he sort of passed it over to me.
1: When did he hand the baton to you? uh,
0: Probably around 2000, I think it was either 2018 or 2019, somewhere around there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, So it started with a conversation that Michael and I had. Where I had made a lot of introductions for him and he uh, came to me and basically said, you know, you know, so many fascinating, like really interesting people, Uh, people are doing this sort of podcast thing. Why don't we interview them? Like, why don't we interview these interesting people? And I said, okay. Um, But we need to have a theme. Like there has to be sort of a reason sort of behind this. And uh, at the time, uh, Michael Shine was running an agency and he was helping people uh, develop their brands and get their ideas out there. And at the time, I was still teaching uh, these networking workshops, right? So I was still doing a lot of teaching workshops, running programs, like doing things of that nature. So we sort of sat down and said, okay, well, it probably has to be about relationship building, right? And then I just kind of thought through, okay, well, what is the thing that is really, really compelling when it comes to relationship building. And most of the conversations, most of the questions that come up when anybody talks anything networking or relationship building oriented really ties to the fact of being in front of the people that they want to be in front of and sort of having that opportunity. And then I remembered reading something at one point where if you are naming something or sort of putting something together. Now, again, this was back in like 2015 um, that it was a very, very smart move to start at the beginning of the alphabet. And they had talked about Amazon and like how that had sort of, you know, done that. So I was like, okay, well, what's an A word um, that we can sort of start with. And then I had this realization was like, well, access is the thing that people really care about. Right. So uh, I said, why don't we call it access to anyone and we'll take the time to sort of dig in and I'll teach my relationship building stuff and you can teach uh, your stuff about branding and technology and, and we can, and we'll just co-host and we'll just chat with people together. We'll interview each other sort of about our ideas. And uh, once we started, we just invited a couple of our friends to basically do interviews with us. And what ended up happening was those friends were like, this was an amazing conversation Um, and they really enjoyed it. So they just told other people sort of about it and it ties right, right to it. Right. So it's like that accessibility piece of it was a pretty straightforward thing. Like you knew kind of what you were doing. Um, And then in addition to that. It had that influence element because at the time, again, not as many people were doing podcasts. So it actually meant something to say to your friend, Hey, I was on this podcast. Do you want to be on it? Right. It was this novel thing. It was this like interesting, you know, kind of thing. And then I was listening to shows and I remembered very distinctly that it just kept coming up over and over again, that there was always some big question that the show would have people ask. So I was like, okay, well, what's the question? Like, what is that thing? And I was like, oh, well, if you ask every guest, if you could have access to anyone, you got a chance to sit down with anyone you like, they have to be living. Who would that one person be? And people loved that question. They loved digging into it. They loved sort of thinking about it. Um, and there were instances and there are there multiple instances where people will describe somebody and maybe it's been a past guest or maybe it's been somebody that I do know. And I can make that intro. I can I can help them sort of figure that out. But I also then include the audience in that sort of equation. I basically say like, hey, if you know this person,
1: I, I love help that. Us. I thought that br- I thought that's brilliant. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I thought that was really good. You know, something else about your show too is that there's always, yeah. I mean, I'm typically you know working out when I'm listening to to podcasts, but I found myself just like, oh, I got to write that down. Yeah. Like there's always really salient takeaways. You know, so people are, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. What are the goals that you have with your show? Yeah. So my goals are
0: really twofold. Um, one is to really basically learn from as many people as possible. Right. So one goal is to just sort of be able to kind of see like all the different sort of, uh, viewpoints, ways that people are thinking about things, Um, develop new relationships, people that I don't know yet, right? People who I haven't had a chance to really get to get to know or sort of get to connect with. Um, But then the second is to basically have the opportunity to refine and revise ideas, right? So like if somebody's sharing something, I can share a concept or an idea of mine that I think applies to what they're talking about. And then I can see, does this New York Times bestselling author, does this, you know, startup founder, does this person get it and think, wow, that's a really interesting concept? Or are they like, "Mm, I don't really know about that. Or I don't really know if that applies, you know, or whatever the scenario is. And what it does is it's a way to vet a lot of my concepts, a lot of the things that I'm developing and that I'm working through. So I love having conversations on the show and I love periodically sort of bringing up a concept and then hearing, does somebody say, "Wow, I love that concept. I think that's such an interesting concept," or "Oh no, it, you know, it's not." And you know, there are some instances where some of these people are that subject matter expert, so they might ask me about what I do and and how we might be able to work together and and things of that nature. Um, but it's um, it's very much for me about getting to know uh, different people's perspectives and different people's sort of side side of things and uh, vetting the ideas and the concepts and the frameworks that I've been developing.
1: Mm. What have been some of the best outcomes as a result of your show?
0: I've had lots of instances where um, I've ended up on somebody else's podcast as a result of it. Um, I've had lots of instances where people have introduced me to an even more fascinating guest, um, you know, at the end of their interview and be like, that was, you know, that, that was one of the best interviews I've had, or I really enjoyed that conversation, you know, kind of thing. Um so I've had instances where you know somebody would finish the interview and they'd like introduce me to an astronaut you know or they'd introduce me to some you know scientist or physicist or something right so it's like that that's always been really kind of amazing um but I've also had instances where you know people have thought about me and and invited me to speak at a conference or you know uh be part of one of their dinners or one of their gatherings because they just really enjoyed the conversation and They, you know, I was top of mind for them. Like they were thinking about me and I think that, and this actually ties to the second, like really, really uh, important component of memory in that less concept, which is emotion. And anytime we experience uh, what's often referred to as emotional arousal, we tend to remember the details of a situation much more clearly. So if I'm having a great conversation with you and you're feeling really engrossed in that conversation, or I see something that causes you to feel something emotionally, you'll actually remember that experience. And the next time you're sort of going through an experience where you're feeling a similar emotion, you'll remember me Yeah. and you'll remember that conversation. So there are lots of instances where maybe we're just having a really great laugh, you know, or we're talking about something very serious. or We're talking about something very, you know, very intense. You know, on the show, and that person will remember that that feeling, hmm. right? They'll remember that emotion, and then they'll remember me, and then that might be, oh wow, yeah, I should probably invite Mike to that. That's dinner. the trigger. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. What would have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had with the show? Um, How many episodes are you by the yeah,
0: way? Yeah, I've, I've I don't even know at this point. I think <laughs> like I think we're up to I don't know. 200 300 something like that Yeah, it's, you know that's it yeah
1: um average is nine <laughs> yeah right
0: but yeah i think one of the biggest challenges that you encounter uh with a podcast is the timing sort of of it we release it weekly and i think i've batched enough episodes where this point i don't think whoever is being interviewed sort of upcoming they're probably like their episode will air like two months out or yeah. three months out or something you know something of that nature um, so I think like one of the biggest challenges is time where you can batch of episodes, but sometimes people need their stuff to come out because they've got a book launch happening or like there's all sorts of things that happen um, where you have to kind of like move things around. So I think like that's one of the bigger ones.
1: Do you find people appreciative for all that goes into your show?
0: Most people are. Yeah. I mean, I think like there are some instances where, you know, um, they they don't really – you know, like you do an interview and you never hear from them again, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I find that most people are pretty, uh, pretty appreciative or or are willing to, you know, share it and sort of talk about it later. Um, you know, tell their friends, you know, those, those types of things.
1: For those that are listening, you know, who is the type of guest that you're looking for on the show? Is it, yeah. are you looking for subject matter experts? Are you looking for just interesting people? What's your target guest? And, yeah. and, uh, not to put you on the spot, but if you, now would be a time if they're, uh, if you don't mind sharing your contact details sure. in terms of you know, the type of person you want for your show or, or also just your business, sure, you sure. know, who I'd love to know who exactly, you know, is it, is it that person that's already a subject matter expert that wants to amplify, mm-hmm. uh, or is it someone that thinks that they're a subject matter expert and it's you know, you want to help them kind of distill that and say, well, maybe you're not, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because yeah. no sometimes gets you closer to yes. Yeah. Or like, you know, you could wave a, a realistic magic wand. What's the right type of referral for you? Sure. I appreciate that. Um, so
0: Uh, I'll talk first about the guests from the show. Um, Biggest thing for me is, will we have an interesting conversation? Um, Yes, I get plenty of subject matter experts, um, but I get people from all walks of life. And most of the time they come from an introduction, um, you know, or I've met somebody and I'm just like, you're fascinating. Let's talk about it, right? Like, let's have a conversation. Um, So for me... It's, do I feel like I'm going to have a really great conversation with this person? Do I feel like there's something interesting and different that they're talking about that doesn't feel like it's been done 20 different times, right? Um, so that's, that's a big, big component. Uh, the other big component is relationship and sort of like, have I known you for a while? Like, do I know who you are? Have we had any kind of experience? Have I seen your expertise? You know, all those different types of things. And if we have, and we know each other, then, you know, I'm more than happy to have you on my show, right? right. Because you're my friend, right? You know, when you get like, there's a lot of organizations and places that sort of pitch. um, But when you get those like very generic kind of pitches, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I don't respond to them at all um, because they're kind of just spam, right? Uh, And other times, if I think this person's kind of interesting or it looks like they're interesting, I'll touch base and I'll be like, yeah, can we maybe do a call and just kind of see like, what do you want to talk about? on Mm. the show, like where, what direction would you want to go kind of thing and sort of see where that goes. Um, so that's, that's the show in terms of, um, sort of who, uh, I usually have, I usually have on. And then to answer your question about the client side, um, it's that subject matter expert who is in that, uh, place where they know that there's something bigger, Um, so
1: it's a nice way of putting it. I like that. Yeah. So
0: the way I like to think about it is that, um, it's fine and, and you can make a, a a decent living, you know, being in destiny's child. Um, but your life can be completely different if you're Beyonce, right?
1: You're so good with your analogies and metaphors. (laughs) Um,
0: so that's who I like to focus on. I like to focus on the people who they're subject matter experts. They've built the business to a certain degree, but they want to be at that next level. And in some cases they may have uh, spent uh, a lot of money in lots of different areas on things like PR and all these other things that told them that that's what would make them a star. But what makes you a star is whether or not people will share your ideas. And if people share your ideas when you're not there, then it sends it back to you. And more and more people look you up, more and more people try to find you, more and more people ask you to be on their podcast and do their types of things. And this is the work that just doesn't get done right? Mm. This is the work that uh, gets put off over and over and over again. So there are people who are brilliant at what they do. They're just geniuses, but they're being completely overshadowed in many cases by hacks because those hacks have much, much better marketing, right? They've taken the time to package that idea, to come up with that, that type of thing. So I love finding those people who have no idea what Potential they really have, right? Like, or, or how much they could actually do with the concepts and with the things that they've they've developed. And that's what I love. I love, love, love seeing people who have bigger ideas, who have bigger concepts, uh, get the opportunity to package them and then get that recognition for their concepts and for their ideas, and go out into the world and, and continue to serve people in a really, really great way, right? And support their clients and do things for their clients that make their clients' lives better. If you're doing really, really great work, you deserve to be known. And there's just a lot of people who, they miss that component. They haven't done that particular thing. And the metaphor that I often use about this is that your business is often, especially if you're a subject matter expert, it feels like your face is pressed up against the TV screen and all you're seeing are colored pixels. (laughs) So what I do best is I can tell you what's on TV and I can tell you if you need to change the channel.
1: That's awesome. Wow. Yes. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael, I got to tell you, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Tons of takeaways. I mean, I'm just writing note after note, whether it's aim, you know, giving yourself an F, less. Remind me what less is. It, it's a yeah. uh, language, language emotion, emotion, simplicity, simplicity, and That's structure. Simplicity and structure. I mean, tons of metaphors, tons of analogies, tons of takeaways. Uh, really, just uh, appreciate the generous amount of time and insights that you've shared today. Everyone that's listening, give Mike a shout out. Check out his podcast. Check out his company. Ooh, one more yes. thing. Uh, anyone who lives on the Upper West Side, speaking of a pitch, do you mind giving a quick pitch on your wife's uh, <laughs> little endeavor? Sure, sure. Um, so my wife uh
0: teaches at a school called uh Guidepost, uh Montessori. And uh it's a really uh phenomenal it's a it's a really phenomenal school. And uh if you are you know interested in uh Montessori education, they're they're top notch.
1: Beautiful, Michael. Thank you and make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.